Hello listeners, I'm Sam Birchall, Senior Reporter at Real Deals, and in this podcast, I'm looking at the rise of sector specialism in private equity. This podcast will assess whether PE firms need to specialise to stand out, or if firms can still succeed in the current market as generalist investors. I'm here with two guests. My first is Guy Simmons. Guy is a founding partner at Virus Capital. My second guest is Errol Uzumeri, founding partner of Searchlight Capital. Hi both, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Sam. Good to be with you, Sam. Great. So Guy, you've had experience sitting on both sides of the fence, so to speak, having been a generalist and now a specialist at Gyros. So what is pushing this trend towards sector specialism and, and what are the advantages of that in today's market? Well, look, so, so you're right. I started out, I did 20 years in a generalist mid-market firm in Europe and switched in 2018. And, and as you say, Gyrus is sector focused. I, I, look, I think there's two things behind it, neither of which you know, invalidate the, the generalist approach. But, but first of all, I think we would all accept that, you know, I've been doing this 25 years, it, it, it always gets more competitive and more expensive. There is more and more money chasing high quality investments. And so the more that you can give yourself a competitive advantage when you first go into a process or a meeting or, or, or a company or a seller, um, the better. So, the, I mean, the idea of having sector focus is that you've got people who can talk to management, people who can talk to sellers. You know, the first thing you do as a generalist when you look at a new business is you wonder about the market, you wonder about the sector, and you wonder about the consultant who's going to help you. Well, the idea as a, as a sector specialist is you already have that. You, you don't need the consultant. You've got that know-how in-house. And if you define it very, very tightly, and some firms do, it may very well be that you've already looked at a similar business very recently. And so you've done the work that you need to do on that sector before you get there. So I mean, we, can, we can explore that, but I think that's, that's the issue around the competitive positioning in the market. The second bit, and, and you know, I'll do this very openly, you know, Gyrus is only two and a half years old. To start a new firm in the current environment, I mean, n- nobody's waiting for a new private equity firm, right? I mean, God, God, God knows there's plenty of them out there. So I think when you're doing that, you're looking for something that differentiates yourself. And to be able to say, look, this is the sectors we're gonna focus on. These are the ways we're going to do it. This is what you get from us, which you don't necessarily get from a generalist firm. Um, certainly, certainly is a benefit when you're talking to LPs about how we position ourselves in the market. And you know, just going head to head with the multi-billion dollar firms, the generalist firms in Europe or the US, I, I don't know how you do that right now um, as a first-time fund. So ha- having something with sector expertise, people who know the market, whether it's on the executive team or the operating partnership team, I think differentiates you and allows you to go into sectors which you know we think have attractive fundamentals behind them and, and should give us a competitive advantage in those sectors. Now, we've seen funds in, in certain sectors, I'm talking healthcare, technology, um, generate those kind of historically much better returns. To what extent, Guy, do you think this rise in specialism is just driven by kind of high returns in those sectors? Well, so I think, I mean, healthcare and, and, and tech, I mean, first of all, I think those are, I mean, they are very attractive markets because they've got fundamental growth drivers behind them. They're also markets where 
um, generalists, I think, struggle. So, I mean, so, you know, when, when we look at tech, I mean, you know, FinTech and the guys who get involved in that sort of stuff, as I say, you know, you don't go foot to foot with people where you don't already know what you're dealing with before you get in the room. And I think that's the benefit to it. So, you know, we like sustainability, healthcare, technology, because we think there's fundamental growth drivers in those markets. And if you can find value entry points into businesses with fundamental growth, very difficult to get that wrong. But there's nothing wrong with a consumer-focused group or a retail-focused group. Um, you know, retail is a, is a very, I mean, it's a very difficult market, but it's a market where people who know what they're doing have been able to produce exceptional returns because they've got that know-how. So I don't think it's just what is currently sort of in a post-COVID environment, the sexy sectors, healthcare and tech, most obviously. I think it works across the board. I think you just got to be very clear about what you're doing and how you're doing it and stick to your discipline. And, and I, th I think that's what's driving it. Mm, definitely. And just going back briefly to what to what you said a bit, a bit earlier at the start, so there's is now a sort of newfound focus on cultural alignment and capabilities that PE firms can bring that go beyond just providing capital. Is sector specialism the only way to achieve that in today's market? I mean, absolutely not. I mean, so in my in my generalist days, uh, I mean, I used to say to LPs that every time we went into the room, we had sector specialists because it was the management team, the incumbent management team that we were talking to. And I and I still think that that works and is the case. There is a difference when you when you go into niches that are driven by the science. If you go into life sciences, you need to understand both the science and the regulatory environment. I mean, healthcare is the most regulated industry on the planet uh, for good reason. It does help if you can understand the science and you've got people with you who understand the things that management teams will obsess about. Medtech, they obsess about quality, they obsess about regulation and they're right to. And it's not, you know, cash flow and opportunity and efficiency. So I think that there are, you know, that, that's why I think the healthcare sector focus, particularly in the US, has developed as strongly as it has. And tech, I mean, healthcare is very broad, tech is very broad as well. If you go into the tech firms that have, that have been super successful, they tend to have narrowed that down to very specific areas and, and, and products that they want to go and look at. And they do that because they then have a competitive advantage when we see the next one. Mm, yeah, things are definitely getting a lot more sort of niche and, and specialised within those firms that you talked about. So, so Errol, coming over to you, Searchlight raised $3.4 billion for your third fund um, towards the end of last year. So there's obviously a lot of appeal um, for your strategy, which is perhaps more generalist. What advantages are there of being a generalist fund in today's market? Thanks, Sam. So, uh, you know, I would I would start by saying that uh, I agree with a lot of, of, of what Guy was saying. It's, it's 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 frankly it's 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 hard to dispute that. I I, I would say for from our perspective, uh, you know, I would totally agree. Going into a room where you, where you don't have the incumbent knowledge uh, in that particular sector <clears throat> versus you know firms that do would put you at a competitive disadvantage. First of all, just getting into the room, because often you know, the way we operate, uh, a vast majority of the uh, transactions that we've been involved in have been outside of processes. So even to engage in those kinds of conversations with people, uh, you need to have that sector specialization in order to 
uh, you know, for that counterparty to be feel like you're credible, that you can add value, that you can differentiate between a good asset and a bad, a bad asset. And um, from from our perspective, uh, I guess the, the one di differentiation that I would uh, or layer that I would add to it is that um, you can be a generalist firm, but in order to be successful within your firm, you, you need to have resident within your firm spec sector specialization. And uh, and so that I would say is the different, the fact that we cover a, a broader set of sectors, we consider ourselves you know, sector specialists within each of those sectors. And we feel, and frankly, when we don't do not have that expertise, if we feel as attractive, there's an attractive sector that we have not been accessing, let's say in our you know, short 11 years of, of history of Searchlight, and we and we feel like there's an uh, attractive opportunity there. We will build that resident expertise either by, you know, studying it over a long period of time uh, and and hiring people into the firm that have that expertise, so that over years we can build that expertise and be comfortable to to execute on on investments within that space. On the other hand, what I would say that what what why we feel this is attractive and why we think investors feel like that approach is attractive is that it, it does also allow us to have the discipline to step back and not invest in an overheated sector. And I think we've all seen that throughout our careers uh, that sectors get hot and cold. And, uh, and so the ability to step away from one whilst not putting the firm's investment pacing, let's say at risk is an important, uh, is important for I think investors to make, for them to feel that you have you know, uh, the right discipline, I'd say, uh, in order to, uh, you know, make investments that are not at the top of the market or at top of market valuations. So I think investors from in our fund appreciate the fact that we can invest in more than one or two sectors uh, and that we have the discipline to be able to walk away from certain situations when we see them as overheated, but at the same time have the ability to add value in the sectors in which we do participate and have that level of expertise in which to differentiate good and bad and which to add value post ownership uh, and to source things in a proprietary way. Yeah, and of course, we, we've seen some of those kind of sector focused funds be very impacted by sort of macroeconomic um, headwinds like yeah. and, and sort of like the, the oil energy funds doing sure. Definitely. Um, I guess, Errol, kind of adding to that, would, would you agree that there is a kind of a element of danger in, in confusing specialism with expertise? Do you really need to be an expert to go in and do deals in certain sectors, or is this just an excuse to drive up value? Yeah, I, I, I think, first of all, I think uh, it's not, I don't think it's an excuse to drive up value, but I do believe that uh, having expertise resident in the firm is critical. And I think just showing up as Guy was saying with consultants and hoping that that's gonna give you the conviction and the expertise to really have the pattern recognition uh, about uh, you know, how to not only make a good investment and differentiate between various companies within that space. I think it's very difficult to do that without having sector uh, expertise and, uh, and specialization. However, I think the, the big question is whether that you can you can do that in multiple sectors and how many sectors can you credibly do that in or is it just one and and I you know I have a uh, from from our perspective as an investor I do feel that the ability to have uh, 
the, the ability to invest in, in, in more than one sector and not be completely sector specialized uh, allows you to be disciplined, number one, allows you to frankly, you know, take learnings from one sector or segment and actually apply those to other and have other data points in which to assess uh, you know, that, that particular investment as opposed to everyone kind of looking at things the exact same way and falling into that sort of, you know, the, the, the potential, I would say, of, of some tunnel vision and doing the best relative deals within a sector, which on an absolute basis may not be the best investments that a firm could source or execute. And I think it's those kinds of things that we, you know, we think about a lot. And when we established the firm, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, I mean, I totally agree with Guy. I mean, the world didn't need another middle market private equity firm when we were starting either. And, and you need to have, for sure, as a first time fund, something that differentiates you in order to have investors commit capital to this, to that strategy and that fund, as opposed to just investing more dollars with another fund. So it is important that, that in, in, and look, and it's reality, you need to have a certain level of expertise. The question is, in how many sectors can you do that? In how many regions can you do that? And we took the deliberate approach when setting up the firm that we were going to do that across North America and Europe day one, we set up our offices in both sides of the ponds. And we said, you know, because we had all invested in that way, we thought there's good pattern recognition that that follows one market that we can apply to another. And then we picked the sectors that we were going to invest in because we had expertise in those sectors. As the firm evolved and grew over time, we developed expertise very deliberately in other sectors that we thought we could you know, create a lot of value in over decades and then built that expertise in-house or hired people in order to further develop that expertise within the firm. And, and so that's, and, and, and if you look at history, that is how many firms evolved. If you look at the largest firms of, uh, you know, the largest buyout firms in the world, let's say, they, they often started as generalists and then evolved to have teams within them be specialized. And then sometimes even took that, that evo, uh, evolution even further and said, we're only gonna do this one sector in some, with some specific firms in, that I have in mind. Uh, and you know, so, so I think the, the, the days of being able to make an investment without having expertise uh, in, within your firm, both from a sourcing perspective, value add perspective, are, are, are quite limited. And, and so that expertise needs to reside in your firm one way or another, either by focusing on a smaller number of sectors or, or by focusing on a, a larger number of them, but having that resident expertise in teams within your organization. Mm, definitely, thanks for that, Errol. And Guy, firstly, would you agree with what's been said? And, and secondly, I guess, are there, are there certain points in the market that are better suited to um, generalist funds and general, more generalist strategies, for example, maybe in, in the lower end? Yeah, I mean, com completely. And I mean, maybe to pick up on some of Errol's points, I mean, look, let, let's talk about cyclicality. So he's absolutely right. You know, there are certain industries where the cycle is favorable and you get quite excited about it. And there's certain moments when you uh, you tread with fear. Um, and, and being a generalist allows you to, to play those cycles if you're, if you're smart enough or brave enough to do that. Uh, you know, again, let's talk about healthcare and technology. I, in the current very extraordinary environment, I don't particularly worry about the cyclicality of the healthcare market or indeed the technology market because those markets are deliberately focused on because there shouldn't be cyclicality in it. What the very clearly is, is valuation cyclicality and, and, and post-COVID, 
both healthcare and tech, and I think sustainability, have got themselves to a valuation point, which, I mean, you can only really describe it as a bubble. Um, and, and that does create problems. We're seeing massive influxes of capital into um, interesting places which have been out of favor for a very long time. So life sciences and drug discovery have seen more capital going into them in the last three or four years than probably for the previous 20. And that, that's quite interesting. Um, it's also driving some decisions that are not necessarily rational. Um, and it, you know, let's not even get into tech and, and, and the very public discussions that go around the very largest of, of the tech firms. So cyclicality, you know, as an industry, I think I don't worry about cyclicality in, in pricing is a concern and you need to, first of all, be disciplined. And secondly, you need to know how to deal with that as, as you go through a, um, an environment like the current one. I think this, the second bit just on, on this and the way we chose to do it is you know, having done this for 25 years, I think we felt it's not just about value. It's not just about returns. Although I think uh, those sectors done properly will produce interesting returns. It's also about the impact you make and the decisions and the choices you go into. And, and, and for us, it was very much about selecting um, sectors where you know, we, we felt that what we did was economically viable, but also had an important impact on the healthcare service, technology, sustainability going forwards. And, and it's been a side effect and a coincidence that COVID has rather focused people's attention on those things in the current, in the current environment. Definitely. And with problems on the horizon, with, with prices being driven up, you're saying that this could actually prompt LPs to seek a more diversified approach. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to speak for LPs. And I'll tell you, one of my one of my operating partners said to me uh, on, on a call last week, because I was complaining that the valuations had broken through 11 times EBITDA here generally, and we hadn't seen that before. And he said, yeah, but, you know, today's 11 is tomorrow's 13. And if you look at the last 20 years, it's been consistent. It's been consistent one-way traffic. And who's to say that that won't be where it goes in the future? And I have to say that that may, that may prove to be Proved to be correct. I don't, I mean, I think, again, with these things, it depends on your GP, it depends on the individuals, it depends on your discipline and your strategy. And I think if you stick to your strategy and you're disciplined enough, you get through these things. We've all seen them before. It is pretty eye-popping, some of the things we're seeing, and, 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 and I can't see any justification for it. So that has to correct at some point. But I think fundamentally, if you're in growth sectors, growth markets, and you're doing it the way you set out to do it, you'll, you'll come through and it'll be fine. Mm. And I guess kind of traditionally, sector specialism was quite broad. Um, and now, as you mentioned, it's becoming more narrow. And there's funds that are investing in purely technology or purely something else in there. You've obviously seen some like hugely successful funds do that strategy. So we've seen Silver Lake, Thomas Brava. Um, but do you think kind of do you expect to see an increase in the number of GPs going for more niche strategies or is this perhaps more popular in the US where the market is larger is there a difference I think you'll see a continuation of what you've already seen so I mean to Errol's point a a generalist firm has sector specialists within it um and sector I mean you know 20 years ago when people started talking about sector specialism they said, yeah, yeah, we do, we do industrials and we do services. You're like, okay, well, so we've gone from that to people who are very focused on, you know, very minor niche 
um, sectors, even industries. Uh, and that gives them an advantage in, the, in those places. So I, I think you will see more and more um, generalist firms adding sec sector capability to what they're doing and bolstering that both on the exec team and on the, and on the advisory board or operating partnership. I also think that what, you know, there has been a consolidation in larger and larger firms. And indeed the successful mid-market firms have become bigger and bigger over the last 10 to 10, 15 years. If you want to start anew, if you want to break into the market, I, I think it'd be very difficult to do that as a generalist firm today. And so doing it with sectors, you've got to have private equity discipline, you've got to have financial discipline, and I think you've probably got to have experience in both of those places. But I think if you're going to do it, having a sector or a very, very narrow niche where you can make a difference is, is I mean, probably the only way of doing it right now. Yeah, Errol, I'd be interested to get your, your thoughts on this. Would you agree with what, what, what Guy was saying? Uh, generally, yes. I think that, he, that you know, from a, if you look at a, in, from an investor point of view, uh, they have already, you know, they, they will sell to tell you in large part, they've got lots of managers they wish they had less, you know, that they've, they've got. And, and so the likelihood of breaking through with one of them, A, first of all, 95% don't even do first time funds. So I have to say for congratulations, to the guy for setting up his new fund, you know, when we set up our fund, it, it is hard work and, and it's not easy. And, and I think, you know, many people outside the industry don't realize how hard it is. So for all, all of those, all of us who have done it, we know, and we have certain, it's just a huge respect to anyone who, who gets it off and does, does it. And, and, but, but, you know, to then convince that last 5% that who are potentially doing first time funds to then either drop an existing manager, which is kind of what it takes to get them to invest in you, it's a super high bar. So they really have to be convinced that you have something differentiated to add. And if you are a pure generalist fund that are not that differentiated, even though you can say you've had a great track record and you've done this and that, it's just very hard to move off their, an existing uh, platform that they have that's already, that they've backed, that's in their fund for, that's doing the same thing, has a stable team, stable track record. It's just, it's just easier, frankly, for them. And to commit another 25, 50, whatever it is, 10 million to that manager versus just going anew and taking some risks. So, so I totally agree on that front that it's very, uh, you need to be differentiated in order to get the, you know, to have LPs uh, uh, attracted to you and, and, and worth doing the risk uh, or worth taking the risk and investing in you. So um, I would say that, however, you know, and, and largely and the, the, the easiest way to probably do that, to get that uh, is to set up, uh, to, to be very specialized in the sector that you're approaching, because then they also won't say, oh, well, that's exactly like firm X or firm Y, and we already have that. So, so it's a, it's certainly important from a credibility, marketing, LP interest, you know, and ultimately, you know, obviously the LPs are translating that to be successful uh, as well. And then, and, and look, I think if you look at, again, pattern recognition of what's the, a lot of the firms that have scaled the quickest uh, in the last decade, let's say, uh, they have been firms that were very sector specific uh, and they had success in those. So, you know, you saw that and, and Guy alluded to it, you saw it, in, and you did too, you know, you saw it in oil and gas and energy funds in it for a period of time. And those funds scaled tremendously. 
And then obviously when, when you know, the oil and uh, gas markets crashed down, uh, the returns of those funds, you know, were really challenged. And so, you know, more recently, you know, tech and software and things like that have really scaled. Those firms have scaled tremendously based on, you know, great track records, frankly. Uh, so it's not, uh, it's it certainly, they're not scaling for no reason. And, uh, but, you know, uh, over time, as the valuations have become more heated in those areas, uh, you know, I think those firms are also somewhat uncomfortable, the, you know, with the valuations that are being paid in their sectors. And so, Again, whether or not uh, a new firm can emerge that uh, is more generalist uh, and more, you know, in some subsectors, uh, I think you can be very successful doing that. I just, I, I do believe, again, it's, can you get, can you have the investors attracted to your platform? And, and if they're looking for diversification amongst their manager set, like, do you offer them something different? And if you don't, the world doesn't need another private equity firm. So the reality is you won't get any traction. Um, and or be able to scale. What does the future hold? Is is there still a place for both types of funds, or where do you think that the market's heading? Oh, I mean, I mean, completely. I don't think uh, I don't think generalist funds, which you know have been the backbone of private equity for the last thirty years, need, need my support to tell them that they've still got a future. They absolutely have. Although I think, you know, across the board, from 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 the very large down to the mid market you are pretty much universally seeing people build sector specialism within a generalist fund. And I think you will see more and more of that. Um, I, where, where does it go for the smaller funds? I, I don't know. Um, I think when, when regulation came in post Lehman, I thought that the writing was on the wall for small firms and, and spin outs and, and, and first time funds. Um, and therefore, I never intended to do one, which which is odd given what I've just done. But I, you know, I, I think if you are going to do it, you probably need to be in a niche, as Errol was saying, partly because of LPs, but also because why would anybody talk to you in the market when there is someone who's established and is on Fund Five, and you rock up? You know, you just you have to be able to explain your existence in life and why you offer something that everybody doesn't. And I think that's driving specialism. That's driving sector focus. It, you know, it applies to management teams, it applies to sellers, it applies to M&A, and it applies to, to LPs. I mean, I think that is something which is likely to, to accelerate going forwards. Certainly. And Errol, what are your thoughts on the future of sector specialism and generous funds? So I would agree uh, from two perspectives, I guess what I would say is in terms of the future. One, I think uh, from an First of all, from an investor perspective, I think they absolutely have a lot on their plate for first-time funds to really get off and launch. They need to be differentiated. The most likely way to be differentiated is to really have a hone in on a sec, not only in, with sector expertise, but in the, uh, that a sector that has real tailwinds to it. And so if you can kind of combine those two and say, look, this is a, this is a big but growing TAM, total addressable market, and we are just gonna focus on this. And not only are we gonna focus on this because we think it's a good sector, but we have we have lots of experience in this sector or subsector. I think that's the that's the way you get traction and launch. Uh, and, and so I think it's gonna be also very difficult for uh, you know gen, very generalist funds. Uh, but I, I think GPs are also very smart. They wouldn't would probably not market themselves that way. And so they'll market themselves as having 
expertise and just narrowing their focus. So where they may have done 10 sectors 20 years ago, they'll pick three and then maybe edge out or four, you know, and or two or one, and then edge out a little bit and uh, over time. And so, so I certainly have seen that in my history of firms and funds that, you know, have, have, have grown over time uh, and, and, ex and edged out their sector expertise. And, and so, but I think in order to be successful, you absolutely need to have a differentiation and being generalist has, is, offers no differentiation. So you really do need to have that level of expertise in order to have credibility with, you know, with management teams and with investors at the end of the day. Um, and so, so yeah, so I think, and we, and we, I would say, look, we position ourselves that way when we're going actually with management teams and meeting them, we will say, if it's in a particular sector, we will, you know, and say, look, we have the sector expertise where we can help you grow the business and, and create value with you as partners. If, 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 you, if you're not showing up with that playbook and, and not able to credibly do that, uh, you, you know, I don't think you're going to, as a firm, you will long-term be successful either. So you may be able to raise a fund, but you won't be long-term successful. So um, that's the only thing I would add. Just, just to add to that, I mean, I think if you, if you believe the numbers coming out of, I mean, this is a very unpredictable and extraordinary period we've been through and the, and, the, and the numbers coming out of the industry are extremely resilient and that is mostly generalist firms. So that leads you to believe that they were not investing in travel and tourism and high street retail and restaurant chains because, because that doesn't stack up. So as you say, GPs tend to be pretty smart. There is, a, there is a Darwinism in this industry where people don't survive unless they are pretty smart. And they worked out a long time before COVID was ever a figment of anyone's imagination that old economy, high street retail on its own may not be the place to be. So I think a lot of people have walked down services, tech enabled industries and things that are gonna be more resilient in a crisis. And this crisis, I think none of us saw it coming, but it sort of demonstrates that even the generalist firms built resilience into their portfolios by defining what they were gonna go into before we knew this was happening. And I, I think that's the proof of the, the concept. All right, great, thanks. Thanks, Guy, thanks, Errol. Um, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you both today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah.